His plan, it says that eye hasn't seen or ear heard or has entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And it tells us that it's only those people that are mature, who, those people who come to the point where they realize they're done and everything that they need God is providing for them, those are the people who can live in God's plan. It's one thing to understand that someday God's going to do great things for us. It's another thing to come to the point where we realize that what's happening to us today is a part of that great plan of God. That changes everything about our perspective on life. And so that's what Paul wants to get across to these believers in Corinth because he knows if you understand the plan of God, then you understand the heart of God and you can live with an optimism and excitement about the future, knowing that God knows what he's doing. Now, beginning with verse 10, he a little more expressly lays out for us how that actually happens, and the key is the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit in our lives that can allow us to comprehend and to understand the plan of God and the goodness of God. And so after saying, you know, eye hasn't seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him, he says in verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. But God, though there's one God, he's manifested in three different persons. The, the God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. A trinity or a triunity. They are, they are distinct within the Godhead, but at the same time, they're all God. The Bible makes that clear from cover to cover. Do I understand it? No. Do you understand it? Probably not. Because our brains can't totally comprehend everything that there is to God. But just because we don't understand something doesn't mean we want to reject it. As we will see, that's the way the earthly knowledge works. But what we need to do by faith is to understand God's spirit is God. And yet, in an amazing way, he is the one who can make everything else make sense for us. It's that person, the Holy Spirit of God, who can do that. Now, as he says, in order for the plan of God to be revealed to us, it takes a spirit to understand it. See, we can't understand God because we're not God. He says, who understands man except man? See, even though, and, you know, as he, as he says there, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. So you can know me, but you can't totally understand everything I'm thinking or not thinking because you're not me. If you're a man, you'll understand a lot of what I'm thinking. I know what it is to be a man, and so as a result, when other men do things, I can connect with it in a certain sense. We have that in common. On the other hand, women, I don't understand what they're thinking or what they're doing. Now, 
We're, we're still human. I, I understand that we're still members of the same species, but the, the truth is I have a tough time understanding what makes women tick, and women have a tough time understanding what makes men tick. And so Paul is saying that, making this analogy and going, a man is inside himself and so knows what men do. And he says, the same thing is true for God, and this is the problem. How do we connect to God when God is so different than we are? He has a plan, so therefore his plan is in his mind. It's only something that he is thinking of. Now, how in the world can that affect me? It's a problem because it's something that only God's Spirit can know. But God's Spirit is someone who is to live within us, as we will see. And God's Spirit, since He understands what God is doing, because He's God fully, then there's hope. Because as we will see, the Holy Spirit comes inside us and does a work in our lives. But the first thing that we have to notice is, if we're going to connect to God, we need to get in touch with the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit has an inside insight into what God is doing. Now, as we continue to read, he says in verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. So he says, the spirit knows things you don't know because the spirit is God. But now he says, amazingly, we have the opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit, and that's one of the greatest mysteries of life. It's one of the things that Jesus promised, I am going to leave, and I'm going to give you my Spirit. Now, understand this, receiving the Holy Spirit is something that everyone did the day they received Jesus Christ. It's the same thing. You can call it receiving the Father, receiving the Son, or receiving the Spirit, God placed his Holy Spirit inside you and inside me the day we gave him the opportunity to do that, the day we invited him to do that. We received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. He's God. He's omnipresent. And so he was always there. Long before you accepted him, he was working on you, convicting you of sin, convicting you of righteousness, giving you a sense that maybe there's something more to life Maybe there is something that where God can change me, even leaking to you elements of God's promises that are so incredible. But you only get to really connect to God when he begins an inside job on you. And that's, and that's what every Christian has the opportunity to experience. Paul says over in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 that if you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you don't even belong to God at all. Now, there are a lot of people who get confused because the Bible talks about not only the Holy Spirit being in you, but it talks about the Holy Spirit filling you or taking control of you. Jesus said, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll be my witnesses. So, the Holy Spirit is placed in us when we accept Jesus Christ. Everything that we need to live the life that God calls us to live is in us the moment we accept Jesus Christ. However, we make choices as to whether or not we're going to submit to the Spirit, whether we will let Him fill us. And that's why Paul in Ephesians 
exhorts us to, as opposed to being drunk with wine, he says, instead, be being filled with the Spirit. Allow that work of God to happen. Now, the language that he uses here is, we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is, who is from God. And when you read it that way in the English, it sounds like this is just something that happens to you. This is just something that one day, boom, you received it. But the word receive doesn't just mean for something to happen to you. The word received is a verb. Actually, well, the Greek word there is lambano, but it's actually a word that its most basic definition is to pick something up, is to take it. And in the same way, there has to come a time for us when we make that decision for Jesus Christ. We can decide either, I want to receive the Holy Spirit, or as he says, you can receive the spirit of the world. You can decide to live your life according to the values of the world. Now, for most of us, there was a distinct moment, although some of us, maybe it happened over a period of time, but where we made that call to say, I want to receive what God has for me. And just because you didn't earn it, it's not anything of your effort at all, but it's still a mistake to ignore the, the action the choice that you made to decide to allow God's Spirit to come into your heart and to work in your life. Because that choice was there. You could have just stayed in the world, but you chose not to. But the thing is, that choice doesn't go away when we become Christians. It's not like, okay, I've chosen to live in the Spirit, and here I go, and I just stay there. It's a gift of God. It's something that, though, we have to reach out and to take it. And every day and sometimes every moment, that decision is still there. Am I going to live by the Spirit of God? Or am I going to live, as he says, in a natural way by the Spirit of the world? Am I going to do what makes sense to the world, or am I going to walk in the Spirit? And being filled with the Spirit, and being controlled by the Holy Spirit, is when we make that decision to say, I am going to allow the Holy Spirit to control me. I'm going to let him call the shots. I am going to do as he leads me to do. And that means I'm saying no to my flesh. I'm saying no to the world. I'm saying no to the way I've always done things. And instead I'm going, no, I am choosing spirit-led living. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit empowers you in a way that you couldn't otherwise. Now, when we talk about being spiritual or carnal, what comes to mind in terms of what does a spiritual person look like and what does a carnal person look like? I think usually we think of spiritual people as maybe being kind of deeply serious or, you know, always sort of in an ethereal way. They sort of float around and they certainly don't laugh or or, you know, they, you can't connect or relate to them. They seem like they're from another world. Fleshly people, they're the ones that are out there partying and having a good time. And, you know, and, and so we have our preconceptions. But notice what he says happens from receiving the Spirit. I think this is interesting. As he says, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? so that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. 
again, it goes back to the whole idea of what God's done for us, the plan that he completed in us, the redemption that he purchased for us, the blessings that he promises to us. And he goes, man, when you are filled with the Spirit, when you're walking in the Spirit, when you are making those decisions for a Spirit-led life, it focuses on, look what God has done for me. Look what he has given me, not just given me, but freely given me. And spirituality doesn't come from trying to be weird. It doesn't come from trying to connect with some mystical force somewhere. It comes when we look at what God has done and realize this was free. He died on the cross for me. He continues to forgive me. He looks at me, sees me the way I am, and doesn't get grossed out by it. But he just loves me passionately and continuously. Now, this seems so me-centered that often we would reject such a notion in the same way that as we saw last week when it, when it talks about that, that God has this plan, this hidden mystery, this wisdom that was ordained before the ages for our glory. We go, our glory? That sounds like a whole me generation kind of a thing. And so in this passage, as you, as you read that it's all about what he has freely given to us, there's something inside of us that wants to go, no, it can't be about me. It needs to be about him. But what the Holy Spirit does when we focus on God is he just impresses us with how good God is to us. And you go, well, why? That seems so like it's centered around me. Actually, it isn't. What the deal is, though, you're the problem. <laughs> I'm the problem. And as I begin to understand what God is doing for me, what he has done for me, and what he will do for me, it changes everything. It changes my perspective. It makes me a person who worships God. Do you have a hard time worshiping God sometimes? Worshiping God is simply letting him know how much he is worth to you because of all that he has done for you. Letting him know that you are grateful for who he is and what he's done. And so when the Spirit works in our life, he bowls us over with how good he has been to us, and he lets us know it's free. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. He doesn't love you less when you fail. He doesn't love you more when you succeed. He just loves you freely, unconditionally. And you go, but wait a minute. If, if you really emphasize that, don't people just go do whatever they want? Well, you know, after church today, if I chose to go and do something really stupid, you know, I, I, like I might decide, we, we have a wedding this afternoon down in San Diego, so Ann and I are going to hustle out after third service and get on the road and head to San Diego. But on the way, if I wanted to, I know between here and the freeway, there are several places where I could buy some booze. And I wouldn't even have to pay for it. I could, I could still, I think I still have good enough moves and I could act normal. I, I could just grab a few bottles and just shoot out of the store. Park behind, have Ann with the car running and ready to get away, and pile in, and, and I could just drink my way to San Diego and have a good time. And you go, Dave, that would be a bad thing for a pastor to do. Well, it would be a bad thing for anyone to do, but you know what? God would forgive me. God wouldn't judge me for it. 
because Jesus Christ was already judged for that on the cross. And it's amazing to me that I could do something like that and God would still feel the same way about me that he feels right now. So do you think I'll do that? I don't know. Meet me at the gas station and we'll see. But <laughs> right now I'm kind of thinking no. <laughs> Why? Because the fact that God says, if you do that, I'll still love you, it just blows my mind that he could love me that way. If I did it, I don't think Ann would still love me. <laughs> Most of you wouldn't. You know, we'd take care of our crowding, overcrowding problem, certainly. But, but God, he's amazing. And he already paid for the sins that I haven't committed yet. And he continues to love me. So knowing that, does it make me want to go do that? <laughs> Shoot, I'm just going to do what I can get away with. This is great. Of course not. I look at what God has done for me. I look at the dumb things I've done in the past and realize he wiped them out and doesn't remember them anymore. It doesn't make me want to see what I can get away with. It causes me to want to do the things that please him. It causes me out of a heart of gratitude to worship him. When we sing songs about God, they're personal for me. They're, they're intimate for me. Now, am I capable of just blowing off a worship song? You bet. Am I capable of driving in my car, having a Bible study on, and not hearing a word of it? Sure, of course. I'm not perfect. But when I understand all that God has done for me, it's incredibly motivating in my life. But also, it takes all the pressure off of me. I'm glad to know that no choice that I make will de derail the plans that God has. His good that he wants to do for me, he's going to end up accomplishing it. He has a way of doing that one way or another. If he calls you to Nineveh, you could either travel first class or you can go in the belly of a whale, but you're going to Nineveh if that's, what, if that's God's plan. I, I would rather take the better way. You know, traveling in Wales is miserable, but at the same time, it's like God's in control. So do I need to be nervous about what happens if I mess up? If I stand up here to open the word and to share with you and all of a sudden my mind just goes blank and I don't know what to say, do you know somehow God will figure out a way to speak to people that he wants to speak to? It's, it really doesn't come down to whether or not I do a good job. So the pressure's off me and I can enjoy it. I can enjoy whatever God has for me. Because if his spirit is working in my life, he will do what he's going to do. And as I am filled with his spirit, as the spirit gives me that peace, as he works the fruit of the spirit, that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, as that happens in my life, it's like, wow, somebody else is driving. I can relax. I can let him do what he wants to do. And that doesn't cause me to want to do nothing. It causes me to do what I do for the right reasons not for the wrong reasons. And so, as he says, look, this is going to happen by the Spirit, and when you choose to receive the Spirit, when you choose to allow the Spirit to work in your life, then what's going to happen is he is going to blow you away with everything that he is giving you for free. It's free. You can scarf it up all you want. It doesn't matter. It's free. 
I, we ate at Claim Jumper the other day, and it reminded me of how when my kids were small and we would go to Claim Jumper, and they have those root beer candies. Now, I don't like root beer, and so it didn't appeal to me, but my kids love those little root beer candies. And, you know, every time we'd go to Claim Jumper, when we're heading, when we'd put our name in, they'd grab a few root beer candies, and then we would wait, and then they'd come up with the corny Western name for who you are, and then they'd grab a few more, and we'd go get our seat, and they'd go, oh, we need to go to the bathroom, and they'd go by and get a few more root beer candies, and then when we're leaving, they'd grab, a, I mean, and then we'd get out to the car, and they would have like hundreds of root beer candies, <laughs> and they'd count them and see how many they got, and one time... Danny was heading out of Claim Jumper, and he tripped. And there were all these people around, and, and his shirt just fell open, and root beer candy scattered all over the floor. And Danny's on his knees, pulling all these together and shoving them in his shirt. And I was so embarrassed, but, you know, it's okay. They're free. Never once did they go, one only. You know, those root beer candies probably cost Claim Jumper a penny for 10 of them. You go to a claim jumper and you pay 12 bucks for a hamburger. Free root beer candies, no problem. And in a sense, that's what God does for us. He goes, no, this is free. And you're going, really? I mean, this is what you want to do for me? He goes, take all you want. It's fine. All that I have done for you, just appreciate it and love it. And, and be at the point where you do the things that put you in the place of my blessing and there's more where that came from. And so he says, the Spirit's going to work, and what he will do in your life when you make the choice to say, no, I'm not going the way of the world. I'm not going to go by what I can calculate. I'm choosing to walk in the Spirit. And then he goes, God's just going to amaze you with everything that he has done for you. His plan starting to unfold. But as we continue through the passage in verse 13... He presents kind of the problem. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So he says there's a language problem here. Because God does things so differently than we do, there's a, a point in which, and for us really, language is the way that we can think. It's hard for us to think about something that we don't have a word for it. And that's why language develops the way it is. And they have a lot of debates in linguistics and in philosophy about what came first, a word so that you could think of it, or you had a thought and you tried to come up with a word. It's like what came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't think it really matters. But the point here is when it comes to the things of God, they're so good that you're going to have a hard time explaining them or describing them. And as it says, comparing, as the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, that's a tough phrase to translate there. And literally, it's just, it's just spiritual, spiritual. And before that, the word that, that is translated in our version, comparing, is a word that means to calculate, assemble information, process it, work it through, and try to organize it and sort it out. Probably a better term than comparing would be explaining here. But people still go, okay, explaining, spiritual with spiritual, what does that mean? There are, some of the early church fathers thought that it was talking about the Old and New Testament, taking the Old and New Testament and kind of putting them together and making sense out of them. 
that's a good thing that we can do that, and, and so I don't quarrel with that interpretation, but I don't think it really fits the context very well. There are other people who say that it means explaining spiritual things to spiritual people, and that's somewhat true as well, but since the verse is talking about communication and, or the lack thereof, I think probably the best translation or interpretation, understood interpretation, would be that, that we are explaining spiritual things with spiritual words. We're trying to talk in the Spirit, and again, that comes up short, but it seems to be what he's talking about. Now, later on as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to see how many ways the Holy Spirit uses his gifts and his capacities to communicate things that we really couldn't communicate. And so I won't go into that in depth, but we will later as we move through the book, as we see how often spiritual gifts are able to speak a in a way that we can't ourselves, in a way that we can't work up for ourselves. But here he's saying, if God is going to communicate to us, he has to do it in a way, a special way of communication, whereby we can hear what God's trying to say. Now, one of the ways he does that is through his word. And now there are some commentators who on this passage feel that the whole time Paul is just talking about himself and the other apostles who, as they heard from God and were inspired to write the words of Scripture, that that's what he's talking about, that God gave us, meaning us apostles, these words and we put them down. Now, it just doesn't fit with him writing to the Corinthians and saying that completely. There is certainly some truth to that, though, because one of the ways, one of the, the, the prominent primary way that God speaks to us is through His Word. And certainly as, as these words in this book were breathed by God and inspired by God are completely inerrant in the original writings, so also for us, it's like, wow, when we read this, we're reading the words of God. These aren't words that anybody else could make up. There are literally millions of books that have been written to try to explain this book, and they all fall short. Ultimately, God's wisdom is communicated better in this book than it is in all of the books that are written about this book. And so as we read His Word and as we program that into our minds, then certainly God is speaking in a powerful way. There's something unique and, and mysterious about this book and the way it communicates with us. Spiritually, something happens. In a, I mean, for instance, what other book is there that you can open up anywhere and have God talk to you? And it's funny because we have principles of biblical interpretation. We have principles of trying to understand what the word means, and so we put it in its context, and we, and we you know, are careful to understand the grammatical and historical elements that are involved, and read it in the original languages, and look at how different people interpret it. But, you know, funny thing is, I've had happen, and I've seen happen for other people so many times when someone just flops their Bible open, and a phrase that they completely don't understand the context, the language, or anything else, and yet God speaks through this book in a way that even if you take it out of context, most of the time, God will still speak to you if you're listening to Him and to His Spirit. And even when you look in the New Testament at 
at interpretations and quotes from the Old Testament, quite often you'll see them quoting things out of context, and yet those words are alive. It's living and powerful and sharp. And so this book is amazing. What other book has lasted this long and contains this kind of power? And so Paul is referring to that, but also just saying, in general, God is going to have to speak through his Spirit if we're ever going to connect with him. If we are ever going to be thinking on his wavelength, it's going to happen because he does it. And a primary indication of that will be we become aware of how good he is, of all that he is doing for us. We'll we'll sense his plan as it unfolds in our lives. So he goes on to say, but, verse 14, the natural man, the person who isn't making that decision to be receiving the Holy Spirit in their life constantly, to be empowered by Him. The person who's not connected to God does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to Him, nor can He know them because they are spiritually discerned. So he says, God has a plan. He's working this plan out by His Spirit. He's communicating to you in special ways, but if you choose to not allow the Holy Spirit to do that, It just looks stupid. It just doesn't make sense at all. You can't understand the things of God unless the Spirit of God reveals it to you. This is why it's so fruitless to try to argue people to God. This is why it's such a waste of time to come up with enough great arguments that you think you'll talk somebody into being a Christian. There are plenty of people who know all those arguments who are no closer to receiving the Lord into their lives than when you started. Because if your heart isn't there, and if you are choosing to prefer the world, then nothing that anyone can say is going to change you. And at the same time, if your heart is for receiving what God has for you, then there isn't anything that anyone says that's going to talk you out of it. It's simply a work of God. And so we certainly don't fight against the foolishness. It's supposed to look foolish if if God hasn't become a part of your life. So how do we communicate the gospel? The same way that he's saying here, we faithfully say what God says, and we let people know, you know what? You don't have to live like this. God has an incredible plan. He can do so much more for you, in you, and through you than you could ever imagine. And by living our lives in a way that God's plan unfolds in our life, people are drawn by the Holy Spirit. But we don't do the drawing and we don't do the convincing. That's his job. But he says, hey, a lot of people don't get it. So don't waste a bunch of spiritual words on people who think it's foolish just doesn't make sense. Spiritual discernment is what people need. The Holy Spirit working inside them so that it'll make sense. But in verse 15, he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. This is kind of a strange verse that doesn't totally fit with the flow of what he's saying. But try this on for size. The word there for judged is the exact same word in the previous verse that's translated spiritually discerned. Discernment, we know what that means. Judgment, we have a whole different connotation to it. Now, the word can mean both, can mean either one. But obviously, if you take it in verse 14, because they are spiritually judged, 
that doesn't make a lot of sense with the context. So I think the interpreters, the translators rightly said, okay, he's talking about discernment, which is a part of what judgment is. But what if instead of judged in verse 15, you just use discernment? Now you're saying, and by the way, rightly is in italics. It's not in the original. So, but he who is spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is discerned by no one. To me, that makes more sense with what he's been saying. He's going, the Holy Spirit, for somebody who's choosing to live in the world, yeah, they're not going to get it. But when you choose to acknowledge what God has done for you, to praise Him and worship Him for what He has done, to recognize and realize that it's finished, He died for you, He paid the price for your sin, it's all taken care of. To get to that point, which then opens the door for spiritual discernment, now He goes, when you do that, it just starts to make sense. But understand this, you won't make sense to a lot of people. Christians, people who are walking in the Spirit, they'll get what you're saying. But non-Christians or people who are choosing not to walk with the Lord, they're going to think that you're just losing it. They're going to think that you're doing something completely nonsensical. Now remember, being spiritual or not is something that we choose all the time. So this isn't just saying Christians understand everything and non-Christians don't understand anything. No, Christians can understand a lot by the Spirit of God. Non-Christians aren't capable of understanding much except as the Holy Spirit's working in their lives and they're starting to realize, wow, maybe there is something to this. But have you had those experiences where even people who love God don't get what you're called to do? I've seen this happen a lot of times when, when uh, someone as a Christian is called to go to the mission field. And they know that God is calling them to pick up everything and leave and, and go to halfway around the world to share the love of God. But in the process, a lot of times, people who really love them don't get it. And they'll say, look, missions is for like single people with no life. It's not for you. You've got a couple of kids. You have a life. You know, you keep working at your job. You'll become successful and you can give money to lots of missionaries. And you go, you don't get it. God is calling me to do this, to make this decision. And that's kind of what he's saying here about the Spirit. When the Spirit is speaking to you, you'll be misunderstood a lot. People will scratch their heads and try to figure out what's up with you. But at the same time, you, as you walk in the Spirit, will have a sense of there's some sense here that maybe I can't explain it to someone else, but I just know this is what God's doing. And spiritual people will confirm it to you. If you're struggling with a decision and you're getting input from different people, ask yourself this. The person that I'm talking to, are they someone who is really filled with the Spirit? Are they someone who seems to be at peace and, and they're appreciating God and they have the love and the joy and the patience and all that, that comes from being filled with the Spirit? Then I should listen to what they have to say. At the same time, if there's someone who walks in the flesh, if there's someone who's always thinking in terms of what they want or what they need, then take what they have to say with a grain of salt and realize, okay, I can file that information away because they don't fit. And so here he's saying, the one who is spiritual. And again, spiritual isn't, I'm better than other people. 
most people who would go, I'm spiritual, or most people who other people even think are spiritual often aren't because they're doing. Remember, true spirituality is realizing God has done it freely. It was accomplished on the cross. The pressure's off me. But people who are in that place, they can discern everything. Ultimately, they'll just know that God's working and everything's okay. But they themselves, there can be almost no one who can figure out what they're doing. And then, then he says in verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, it's interesting, that quote there in verse 16, which comes from Isaiah 40. Notice in your translation that Lord is in all capital letters. When in the Hebrew, when it's translated from the personal name of God, that, that name YHWH, or we sometimes say Yahweh, or people have errantly called it Jehovah, but it's talking about God, the one who created and sustains everything. It's his personal name. It's interesting here that that is, it's the name Yahweh or Jehovah that's being quoted in Isaiah 40, and now it's, it's identifying Jesus Christ as God, as it says, who has known the mind of the Lord, Jehovah, but we have the mind of Christ, same thing. Earlier, you have the divinity of the Holy Spirit made really clear when it says, who knows the mind of God except God? So the Holy Spirit does that for you. And so you have here the Trinity. But ultimately, this is where the discussion kind of winds up for us, and it's a good thing because it's getting late. But ultimately, what we need is a brain transplant. We need to figure out how we can think like God. It's when we think like us when we think like people, that we get ourselves into trouble. We think too much. We think about the wrong things. We value the wrong things. But the mind of Christ, that's what I need. But notice he says, we have the mind of Christ. That's amazing. Remember, he's writing to Corinthians. Corinthians, these weren't deeply spiritual people at all. They had so many problems in their lives. They were really bad examples of what Christianity is all about, but he's saying we have the mind of Christ. Paul's not just saying I have the mind of Christ. We do. See, when the Holy Spirit is placed inside of us, the mind of Christ goes along with that. It's the fulfillment of the promise in the Old Testament of the New Covenant where he said the day will come when God's Word isn't just engraved in stone where you read the rules and you try to follow them. But he said, I will take my law and I will engrave it on your heart. It's that heart connection with God whereby he does the thinking for us. And as we take on his mind, we just, as we listen through the Holy Spirit and what he is ministering to us, as we notice how good he is, we start to think like him. And boy, is that what we need. It's what Paul was referring to in Philippians 2 when he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, talking about how he humbled himself. It's the same idea over in Hebrews chapter 12 when I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. And as he was talking about all these examples, the cloud of witnesses, he goes, let's just dump off all the weight and sin that so easily besets us and let's run with endurance the race that's set before us looking unto Jesus 
the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, though he despised the shame. What was he thinking? He was thinking about what he would accomplish through what he was going through. And over in Romans, it, Paul talks in Romans 12 about the fact that we need to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that happens in actuality when we accept Jesus Christ. But the more we allow him to work in our lives, the more we submit to him, the more on a daily basis we decide, I don't want the world. I want the Holy Spirit to lead me today to guide me, to speak to me. The more we do that, then the mind of Christ kicks in. It's always there. It's the reason why so often when people come to me for counseling and they're struggling with a decision that they have to make, and you've probably heard me say this before, but I, I can't even count how many times I've said to someone when they're going, I just don't know what to do because I have this choice and this choice, and I'll quite often just look at them and say, you know what you're supposed to do, don't you? And they go, yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> because you have the mind of Christ. It's in there. You know it. You're struggling with whether you're going to choose to do it or not. And Paul's going, we have everything we need. All of the blessings of God, all the provision of God, God himself living within us, our bodies, the temples of the Holy Spirit. God is speaking. Are we listening? God is blessing. Are we grateful? Am I choosing to look at all that God has done for me and draw the conclusion from what he has done so far that the future is going to be great? And so I choose to live with that joy. I choose to live with expectancy. I choose to live with excitement because I have the mind of Christ. Or I can go, today, I think I'll handle it myself. Today, I'll live by the flesh. Today, I'll ignore how good God is, and I'm going to focus on how mean everyone else is. Making that decision makes us miserable. It takes us off track of the plan of God, and we decide we're going to drive for a while. Oh, what God's heart is for us. And he's given us, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, he's given you everything you need. You have all of the Holy Spirit that you'll ever have. You can't have part of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is completely, totally God, and He's in you, God in your body. And you have that. You have the mind of Christ. His plan is unfolding. He is working if you let Him. So do you receive what He is offering? Do you choose to live in light of what he has said and appreciating all that he has done? Or you decide to fight him, decide to do it your way, use the wisdom of the world. That is the decision that affects everything that we experience in life. And that's a choice that we make, yes, once, but then we continue to make it constantly. It's why the Scriptures always, when talking about salvation, reminds us, hey, don't ever get past that. If you, having begun in the Spirit, will you be made perfect in the flesh? No, keep going the way you started. That day when you chose to give your life to Jesus Christ, how about giving it to Him today, this afternoon, and tonight, and tomorrow? When you do, you're going to have a sense that you can't explain, a, a feeling of being taken care of, a feeling of everything is okay, 
a divine perspective. Later on and next week as we get into the next chapter, we'll see some examples of things that happened in our lives that pretty much prove that we're not living on a spiritual plane. But better to just go, that's what I want. I want that spiritual life. Not a fake spiritual life, but a life where he's doing it all. Where he's driving, he's empowering, he's working, it's finished. That's spiritual maturity, and that's where spiritual power comes in. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for taking care of us, for doing everything that we need, all the things we couldn't do for ourselves. You did them. God, you've been so good to us. You're our loving Father. And you've sent us your Spirit who can always be with us, who's always been with us. And since that day when we chose to receive you, he came in us. And Lord, on some days more than others, we allow him to come upon us.